0: Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. And of course, during these pandemic times, we aren't going to create a real dialogue because we aren't taking phone calls for this program. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. This afternoon, our topic is midwifery. Midwives have been there since the beginning, supporting women through their pregnancies and beyond, engaging them in the process of bringing new life into the world. We missed National Midwifery Week back in October, so we're glad that nurse midwife, Linda Robinson, suggested that Talk of the Towns devote a program to the topic. Linda has assembled a group of her colleagues um, here uh, from Maine, and we're glad to welcome them this afternoon as we look briefly at the history of midwifery, its status in Maine, and some of the opportunities and challenges ahead. Today, we have with us uh, Kathy Heffernan, Um, She's a certified nurse midwife in Bridgeton. Welcome to you, Kathy. Glad you could be with us. Hi. Um, I've already mentioned nurse uh, midwife Linda Robinson. She's also president of the main affiliate of the American College of Nurse Midwives. Uh, Kristen Haywood is here from Ellsworth. Um, She's a practice owner in the, the town of Ellsworth. Glad that you could be with us, Kristen.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Angela Ripley Ripley is from Augusta, and she serves on the faculty of the Maine Dartmouth Family Medicine Residency. We'll hear more about that from Angela in a moment. Thank you for having me here. I'm so glad you could be here. And Nakisha Lindsay is a midwifery student in Bangor. She's from Georgetown University. I'm glad you could be here, Nakisha. Thank you for having me. Well, perhaps each of you could give a little bit more um, um, background on yourselves and how you came to be. Um, midwives. What was what? How did you answer that calling, um, K- Kathy? Can we start with you?
2: Okay. Well, that probably makes sense. I'm because I'm probably the oldest midwife here. <laughs> <laughs> I started back in 1977 when I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I think I went transferred colleges three times, changed my major three times, um, but finally, in one of my communication classes. Classes, Um, I heard a woman from Yale talk about the downfall of midwifery, um, coinciding with the rise of the AMA, the American Medical Association. So I knew nothing about midwifery, um, but for some reason this intrigued me. So for another class, I did a research project on midwifery and I became very interested and enthralled with it. And I, um, all of a sudden, it was like a bell going off of this is what I want to do. So I started by apprenticing with a midwife out in Oregon and I did that for a couple of years. And so I was back then a lay midwife or a home birth midwife. And I did that for 17 years, but then I, um, went back to nursing school and midwifery school, um, became a certified nurse midwife. So I've, um, Worked in a variety of settings, including home, the birth center, and now hospitals.
0: Great, great. And as as all of us um in this stage of life, we can look back and see kind of a straight line from where we started to where we are now. But back then it wasn't a straight line. We couldn't we couldn't tell that future. Linda Robinson, um talk a little bit about your um origins and, and how your you came into the, the field of midwifery.
3: Okay, thanks. I was very clear from a very young age that I wanted to be a nurse. I mean, I was always a caretaker and was you know, really focused on that, went right to nursing school right out of high school. And that was during the 70s. And when I was doing my obstetrics training in nursing, it was a time when birth was highly medicalized and I hated hospital birth. I mean, I just thought I am never going into this. I just couldn't stand the way women were treated and didn't want any part of it was focused on public health, went in the Peace Corps right after I graduated from nursing school and was in Malawi in Africa, which was a former British colony. And they had a very, their medical system was based on the British system. And there, all the nurses were midwives. They were very surprised that I wasn't a midwife as well as a nurse. And as I worked with these, they were mostly women at the time, I really saw what true midwifery care was and how much better women were treated under the care of midwives. I mean, they were incredible role models for me. I had my first child born there and um, I just felt completely safe in their hands coming back to the States and having my children in this health, a couple more children in this healthcare system. I thought, no, I, there is there's really borderline if not outright abuse that happens with women in our medical system and i was completely focused on forming my career into midwifery to address the healthcare needs of women i have often said it wasn't it wasn't in malawi that i decided i wanted to be a midwife it's when i realized that's what i was
0: mm-hmm. Great, great. How about you, um, Kristen Haywood from Ellsworth? um, Tell us a little bit about your path.
1: Yeah, so I actually had the opportunity to watch my cousin be born when I was 12 years old. Um, And just ever since then, I've been completely fascinated by everything women's health related. Um, And I was also fortunate enough when I was a teenager, my mother introduced me to Helen Barney Burst. She actually wrote the first textbook for midwives um, so just a true pioneer in midwifery. Um, so she introduced me to midwifery. Um, so I knew, you know, going into, ner- going into uh, nursing school, that that's, that was my end goal. Um, and I just feel so fortunate that even to this day, Helen is in my life, just being my
0: mentor. Mm, that's a great story. Great story. And how about, um, Angela Ripley, um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into the field.
4: Yes, well, it's interesting how um, I loved hearing Kathy introduce herself, because I've always said of Kathy as one of the pioneer midwives in Maine, so interestingly, that um, kind of uh, lining up with her is, believe it or not, I was in nursing school, and I wanted to be, I wanted to do trauma and be a nurse anesthetist. Um, when I graduated nursing school in 1994, I had the um, privilege of working at a small community hospital, and was present at a woman's birth that to this day is vivid in my heart and in my, in my memory of just watching in awe how she instinctively knew what to do, where to birth her baby. And I just felt like that was my calling to be a midwife. Um, It's been such an honor to attend births in my surrounding communities. Um, And then now, you know, I've been practicing, this is my 20th year as a, as a midwife now, feeling like I have the calling to, it's time to spread some of that experience and knowledge um, onto providers who are going to be taking care of our future.
0: So, looking ahead. Yes. And um, Nakisha, tell us a little bit about your path um, to get to the point where you're a student um, of midwifery.
5: So I have been a registered nurse for 13, almost 13 years now. I grew up in a rural um, region of Jamaica where I was inspired to become a midwife for a nurse, venturing on the, you know, the journey of becoming a midwife after watching this community midwife going to care, coming to care for women in our communities, in our community. And she was always neat, well put together and her passion, the passion that she had for caring, for patients was um, inspiring. So I knew in my heart that I wanted to be like her when I grew up. So right out of of high school, I went into nursing school. And um, I did a certificate course in Jamaica in midwifery. And that even deepened my love more for women's health. And even though I didn't get to practice in the area, you know, it has always been my desire to um, venture on the journey of becoming a midwife. So I relocated to the United States and I realized that mid surge didn't, you know, appeal to me anymore. So I applied to Georgetown University and um, I'm in my final semester of becoming a midwife. And that's where I'm at right now to be like these awesome ladies on the panel.
0: I, th- I think you're going to make it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Well, um, again, I, people have probably, um, listeners will have a sense of what midwifery is, but perhaps someone could give a, a brief description of the history of midwifery um, from kind of those earliest days when it was women assisting other women, but um, it became um, more of a profession. Um, Linda, can you get us started and then other people can chime in?
3: Yeah, you know, midwifery has been around from the beginning of time, okay, from the beginning of humanity, and it has, um, it exists in every culture, um, you know, from way back, it was always women assisting women, not only with birth, but just with everything that involved a woman's life. I mean, birth and child rearing and, you know, everything, weaving, spinning, all of that was part of a midwife's role. And they were called not only for birth, but for death. They cared for the whole family. They were the healers, herbal, you know, herbalists. And, um, and because there was, you know, limited transportation, I mean, women cared for their communities very close to home. So every community had a local midwife. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually they were not, you know, wealthy people. They were usually paid in, you know, in goods or trade. Um, in, In the United States, I mean, you know, settlers had their own community midwives. Africans who were brought here as slaves had their own midwives. When they were enslaved on the plantation, they cared for not only the slaves, but their white owners. Um, because they were incredibly skilled, their their education, the skill, the trade was passed down. Usually, someone in their family was sort of nurtured in the role, um, and they learned by experience and you know apprenticeship. Birth really, midwifery really got medicalized in the seventeen hundreds, and that that was when um, the forceps were delivered. Actually. In England, and the people who learned to use that were doctors. They would, you know, and men were the ones who had education, men were the ones who had medical, you know, education. When they learned to use this tool, there were wealthier women that were attracted to the idea that they could shorten the, you know, labors. They also had access to pain, some kind of crude pain relief. And that was how the introduction of medicine came in. To childbirth and women's care, and you know, so you know, it, it's evolved. I mean, this is you know, I teach a, an entire college course on this, but um, it's been a long history in our country and in our state where midwifery has always existed. However, it had it was pushed to the background to the point where it was almost extinguished in our country, um, in, you know, European countries and other cultures. I mean, it's very much part of the mainstream medical, um, you know, healthcare system. It's only been really in the past few decades that it's, you know, experienced a resurgence here. And that has been by a very dedicated, energetic, smart, passionate group of women, clawing their way through our medical system to demonstrate with, you know, with data how much better served women are if they have access to midwifery care. You know, studies everywhere, all the data shows that women who have access to midwifery care have better outcomes. So um, we in in our state. Uh, when I moved here, I was the ninth nurse midwife in the state. Now we have a hundred um, nurse midwives. We've got about twenty to twenty five midwives that um, do home births, certified professional midwives. Kathy's going to talk a little bit more about that. Their, you know, the educational process to get to where we are. But but midwifery in Maine is um, is quite vibrant. I mean, when you look at the country. Overall, it's about between nine and ten percent of births in the United States are done by midwives. In Maine, it's uh, almost twenty-five percent of births in Maine are done by midwives. Mm -hmm. So, one of the um, one of the problems is is you know getting getting our story out there. I mean, a lot of people really still don't understand what we do, um, and you know don't understand that we're very much part of, you know, of the mainstream <laughs> system. And a big part of that is because there's not a lot of us.
0: Um, Maybe we could get some of the others um, uh, to talk a little bit about the the range of, of uh, I, w- I don't wanna say services, but the range of supports mm-hmm. that you provide um, women and their families, uh, just give listeners a sense of what that range looks like. Kathy, could we start with you and then move to some of the others?
2: talking about our scope of practice, what we do. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, it's really quite varied, but I think most nurse midwives do women's, women healthcare in general, which involves probably um, most of us do birth, prenatal birth and postpartum care, but as well as GYN care for women throughout their lifespan. Um, Some of us do uh, assist at C-sections, first assist. Um, I do sexual health counseling as well. And I'm, some of us have a waiver to prescribe for substance use disorders. So we all can get extra training in specialized topics if we're interested in that or fields, I should say. Um,
0: How about you, Angela? Um, what would you add to that in terms of the kinds of support that you give to women and their families? Right,
4: I think that, you know, um, the point is, is that I think that when, um, you know, anybody who doesn't really know who we are and what we do, they think, you know, a midwife, well, she just delivers babies. And, oh, there's so much more to that. Um, I know that, you know, we talk about that what we do is way beyond pregnancy. I always like to start out with saying, you know, the definition of midwife means With with women with women and so, um, you know that we take care of women through their lifespan, and you know we like Kathy had, you know talked about is then we have um, different areas that we kind of specialize in, you know whether it be, um, you know gyn um, like she said first assist some are like bioidentical hormone therapy, um, even like um, urogynecology. And um, and then even in some I mean, I don't see this as much in our country, but, you know, as midwives, we are trained that we can actually serve, you know, as a primary care provider and even take care of newborns for the first year of their life. Um, So there's so much more than just delivering babies than what we do.
0: So that, that's one of the myths that you can help um, kind of uh, uh, explode with with this program, Kristen. What you what would you add to to what others have said about the range of services that you provide?
1: Yeah, I would just add um, certainly family planning services. Um, we can offer a wide range of birth control options, from the pill, the patch, IUDs, the implant, um, really, really anything there. Um, A lot of us too have um, experience with um, breastfeeding support. So I'm a certified lactation counselor um, and I really enjoy providing that support to women. Um, Yeah, and this has been mentioned, but we just feel very fortunate that we're able to take take care of women from adolescence through menopause and beyond. Um, In my practice, I I think I have someone represented in every decade from adolescence to old age, which I just, I love the diversity that that really has to offer.
0: Mm-hmm. Nikisha, were there any surprises as you went into the formal education of, uh, of becoming a, um, a nurse midwife? Um, any surprises in terms of the range of things that midwives are involved in?
5: Yeah, so it was a good surprise for me to know that, you know, there's, there's diversity in women's health as a midwife. Because, as mentioned before, people think it's just delivering babies. But, you know, my experience so far has been rewarding yet humbling to see the diversity in the field. Um, I mean, just to meet a woman at their a woman at their first OB visit to follow up their pregnancy, to attend the birth, to care for them postpartum and follow up every year their well woman visit. Like that's a bonus package right there. You get to develop that um, continuity of care and relationship with the woman. You see her across her lifespan. So yes, there's been a good experience Mm-hmm. And I'm like excited to continue to explore all the areas.
0: Great. Well, I just want to remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're having a discussion about the promise of midwifery for Maine in the studio, the Zoom studio. Um, we're not together. Um, we've just heard from Acacia Lindsay, who's a midwife student, midwifery student, rather, in Bangor from Georgetown University. Angela Ripley um, is serving on the faculty of the Maine Dartmouth Family Medicine Residency. Uh, Kristen Haywood is uh, with uh, her own practice in the Ellsworth area. Um, Kathy Heffernan is a certified nurse midwife in the Bridgeton area, and Linda Robinson is a nurse midwife and she's been practicing um, on Mount desert island but also as um, she said in malawi um, uh, linda we've already begun to talk so very briefly what uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the status of midwifery especially um, as we begin to think about how midwifery serves rural areas and what are the challenges with that and then i wanted to turn to kathy about uh, t- talking about how do you become a midwife but linda robinson first
3: Yeah, this is one of uh, my passions right now, is raising awareness of what's happening in rural areas. I mean, we have a rural state, um, and it's not just Maine. It's happening in rural areas all over the country that small rural hospitals are closing their maternity wards. And so rural women who are mostly low income have further and further to go to get their care, healthcare, not just maternity care, but that is, I mean, that is the biggest problem. I mean, women in Maine in the Northern two thirds of the state now are having to travel two or more hours to get to a major medical center where they offer maternity services. And this, um, this is a huge problem that I feel can be addressed by having more midwives. Midwives can offer services in those areas A big problem is there are not enough of us. I mean, this has been a perennial issue with our national organization is how do we um, educate more midwives? It's a challenge because there are so few of us and you have to, and, you know, to take on a midwifery student, we have to, you know, you have to have a midwife one-on-one with that student. So that's a challenge. Attracting people into the profession has been a challenge. I love talking to high school students about what I do. Um, I know so many women that I would meet and say, I would have loved to have done this if I had only known about it, which is why I appreciate a forum like this is to, you know, educate younger women who are thinking about career goals. And in rural areas, what I would love to see are nurses from those areas who worked in those maternity settings, going to school to become, or, you know, getting an education to become a midwife and practicing within those communities. It's a Big problem in Maine to attract young families to work in rural areas. And, and you know, so my point was, well, why don't we, like, why don't we look at the people who already live there and are established there and know the community? I mean, those are the people who um, already have established relationship with, with women. They're, the volume's not high. And that is one of the reasons that these places are closing is because, you know, administration says they can't afford to keep them, open and you know my response to that is then you find a way mm-hmm. i mean it's gender discrimination to stop offering a service that is solely for females mm-hmm. um, you know we still offer everything else so i mean midwifery education is increasing our numbers is is what i want to target now
0: sure. well kathy tell us a little bit about um how one becomes um a nurse uh, practitioner Nurse midwife practitioner.
2: Uh, so, this can be very confusing. There are many different kinds of midwives. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, to be a certified nurse midwife is fairly straightforward. You have to come have a bachelor's degree, a nursing license, and then you go into a midwifery program, and get a graduate degree as well, like a master's. Many of us get. Um, a doctorate, even in nursing. Um, and then it involves a national exam that you have to take. You have to precept, and get clinical experience just like a resident does basically. Um, and you have to get continuing education credits every year. You have to get recertified I think every five years now. Um, but there are also different kinds of midwives um, do you want me to talk about those at all? Oh, briefly, or? briefly, oh, briefly. Yeah, there's um, in our state there's certified professional midwives, which are um, midwives who practice at home basically or birth centers. They um, don't have to have a college degree, but they either um, have to um, be evaluated. On their clinical experience and their skills, or they go through a school, a three-year school program, and also get uh, have to pass an exam through their own board. Um, they cannot prescribe right now, um, and they can mostly. Yeah, they cannot practice in the hospitals except I think in a few western states. Um, and then there's also certified midwives, which are accredited by our organization as well, but they have a non-nursing degree.
0: Okay, so many many different paths it seemed to me. Um, so that um, no matter where you start, it, it it feels like there's a is a maze to work through. But you know, there's there's also um, somebody's described that path, so they can tell you how to get to where you want to go. So um, one of the the, the um, possibilities is, is at the end of that path, um, you establish um, an independent private practice. Um, and Kristen Haywood, maybe you could describe why you decided to go in that route and what were some of the challenges and what do you like about it? Sure,
1: so um, I feel very fortunate to live in a state where midwives have independent practice. Um, so what that means is that we can practice completely independently from other healthcare providers Um, We also have prescriptive authority, meaning that we can prescribe medications. So this actually led me to open my own independent um, private practice six months ago, which has been definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also the most rewarding. Um, In a lot of midwifery schools and even medical schools, you don't get a lot of education on healthcare as a business or things such as health insurance, credentialing, contracting, And when you're an employed midwife, um, there's a lot of people around you supporting you to to do those things, to help you through them, even do them for you. Um, And you're just primarily focused on the patient care. But in my practice, um, I chose to do everything. So I check patients in, I do blood pressures, I do my billing, the prescribing, the diagnosing, the checking out, I do everything, Um, which really was really hard at first and overwhelming. But I have come to absolutely love it. Um, it's meant that I haven't, I don't have to see, I don't have to pack my schedule and see 20 or 30 patients in a day, um, because I don't have anyone on on payroll. I can keep my overhead very low and that gives me the luxury to spend. My appointments are an hour long. Um, not every appointment takes that long, but it's really nice to have that time if we need it. Um, it makes me feel like I'm giving really good care. And hopefully the woman leaves feeling like she received good care that wasn't rushed. Um, But yeah, it's been a very, it's been a really interesting and exciting experience.
0: Mm. And it's, it it seems like that as you establish relationships with the women um, in your practice, um, then you will follow them um, longer than just a pregnancy and, and a birth.
1: Yes, that's actually a really good question. Right now, I'm actually only offering women's health care right now because I've got a baby myself at home. Um, but I'm hoping eventually to expand that to full scope midwifery. Um, and it would be really I've checked off all the boxes. It would really be fairly simply to simple to implement that. But yeah, right now, it's just women's health. And I see women of all ages, which I love.
0: Angela, maybe you could kind of chime in um, about um, how um, t- midwives are incorporated into family practice residencies and, and say a little bit more about your your faculty role um, as well. Yeah,
4: absolutely um, so I think you know one thing I just I'm going to spin off of what Linda talked about like um, about educating about what midwives do and getting midwives educated um, but I really feel like getting more midwives is that we need to educate um People in the healthcare system, so administration and um, you know other healthcare providers, and in this kind of case, I've done a lot of education, doing a lot of education in a family, um, you know, a family practice, um, and so letting them know that you know this is a this is a great thing for not only healthcare but you know for even the business of women's health um, to have us incorporated. Um, I think that you know with I, you know, I think that this is I'm the first one in this family medicine um, residency to the first midwife to be involved in this family medicine residency. I'm very honored by that. I mean, we as the midwives at um, Maine General Medical Center, we all of us have always taught, you know, the the residents, you know, on labor and delivery, which they've been very um, grateful for. Um, but I think that now I'm being I'm I'm having a strong role in you know developing guidelines and um, and um, education you know doing education with these residents not only just in labor and delivery but from the, from the get go and showing how we can enter you know we can kind of weave in with each other involving primary care as well as, um, you know, as well as where the midwife comes in as far as obstetrics or just specializing in women's health. Um, I was actually, you know, my, my first experiences as an OB nurse was I was taught by family practitioners. Um, and so I feel like, okay, now my roles are reversed and I'm getting to kind of incorporate, you know, okay, I'm the midwife teaching the, you know, the family practice residents, which again, like I mentioned before, that's our future. That's who's going to be taking care of our children and our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. And um, I want to be sure that we give them the education to support that. So,
0: And, and you have a particular role um, on the faculty with the, what you've said is the main Dartmouth family resident, medicine residency. Could you describe that a little bit?
4: Sure. So my role currently is again, like I mentioned, I'm um, I'm heading up the pregnancy management guidelines, but also I'm working in the clinic with the family practice residents. But then, as well as every other week, I actually go on the labor and delivery unit, and I'm not, you know, unless I have a unless I have a um, a woman of my in my own practice that's um, up there in labor, um, I'm sitting side by side with those residents every other week, three days a week, you know, so that I'm actually like step-by-step step doing triages with them. And I'm doing, um, teaching them documentation and teaching them OB topics. So, um, you know, I have this, this is again, just a brand new role for them. And so far I've been there 10 months and in this role, and I've gotten excellent feedback and we're all, we're already seeing a difference.
0: And Nikisha, any particular challenges? Um, I think as we um, talked ahead of the the program, um, you've looked to find preceptors and also um, uh, meeting some of the requirements um, um, as a student. What are some of those challenges for you?
5: Finding a preceptor initially was hard because being new to Maine at the time, um, not knowing many persons in the field was difficult, but Georgetown university has this awesome program where they find a preceptor for you. Um, so I worked with them and ref- made reference, you know, network with coworkers, managers, and approach um, preceptors possible, for our prospective preceptors. And once there was a preceptor was a midwife who was available and willing to precept, then it was all set in stones, kind of. Um, and uh, the one of the advantage is finding a secure in a preceptor is that um, I think it was Linda who mentioned before like the focus is only on you as the student helping you to complete your clinical requirements. So there's no competing with other students to meet your clinical requirements, basically. Um, another plus to it is seeing, as Kristen mentioned, you know, um, main being an independent. Um, practice state, seeing the midwives practice independently and collaborating or cons- consulting with other members of the team. It's amazing to see that you have that ability to independently manage your patient care and consulting if you need to. Um, another, and I must add this, like one of the pluses um, is this is the ACNM affiliate group. Um, attending meetings, and it used to be monthly, but now with COVID, um, it's every week, just to check in, and it has been good because it it has provided some guidance for us as students, and I say us because there are other students, and um, with the implementation of the newly, um, the new mentorship program has been help, helpful as well. Is It's helpful to hear from the midwives who are experts in the field to give you who have a wealth of knowledge to provide tips and support um, as we embark on this journey. And you know, my preceptors have been good in that even though they're focused on helping me to meet my learning needs, um, they also respect the patient's needs and not just the patient, but it's just amazing to see how they incorporate in the uh, incorporate the family. And support persons, especially now with COVID, you know, making sure they have the support they need, they respect them and making the patient the center of the of their care. It's not about what the provider thinks is right. It's about what the woman wants and listening to the woman. So it's just has been a good
0: experience so far. Mm-hmm. As I've I've heard you speak and and certainly um, spoken with others, Nikisha's um, point is probably the the key um, that that you start with what the women want, <laughs> and um, you're trying to get to that understanding of what they want and what they need, and then help them um, assemble those resources and and move through um, in, in this particular case the process of, of pregnancy and birth. Um, so step back a little bit um, from from the conversation we've had so far and look at some of the challenges ahead in the state of Maine. Um, Linda's mentioned the rural nature of the state, um, the fact that hospitals are closing their um, some of their um, services. Um, what, uh, how, how do we address some of those things in addition to getting more uh, midwives uh, trained and and out there. Are there other things we ought to be doing? Are there policy issues, for instance, that we ought to be looking at, either at the hospital level, the family practice level, or at the state level? This is kind of a this is kind of the 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 area where where perhaps listeners would be saying, oh, what can we do, Angela?
4: Well, I think I spun off a little bit from that, and I think I mean, and there's several articles out there about how incorporating midwifery care. you know, um, into practices is definitely a, you know, a huge benefit, but I think, you know, um, you know, getting out there and educating, you know, again, I think that like it's especially starting here with this show and listeners hearing and being like, wow, that's what midwives do. And that they get out there and spread the word and be like, you know what, you have a right to midwifery care and, you know, and, and voicing that to your, you know, to your community, whether it be your hospital or your senators or, you know, whomever, but also, um, us as midwives continuing to really educate, continue to educate, um, hospital administrators and um, that you know you, you you need to have us here you need us.
0: what's, what's the resistance um, just say on that point a minute and I'll come back to some of you what's the resistance do you suppose to incorporating midwives into um, either hospital based practices or family uh, family practices what what is that resistance about and how do you break through any any, any hands up for for that <laughs> no.
4: Well, I, you know, I think that some of it has to do with, um, again, that a lot of some, depending on how, you know, how how long has that administration team been here that feels like, okay, we need only OBGYNs, you know, and not understanding the role of what a midwife does and all that we can do. There are several times, I mean, like a, g- a good percentage of the time that w- the women that are coming to us as for their midwifery care, especially when we talk about in um, intrapartum care, labor and delivery, they never see the face of the ob OBGYN. You know, we're trained to take care of women, not only during the normal things, but things like emergencies that can, that can happen. And so I think that there may be some resistance. That's where I feel like some resistance comes from is that feeling like, you know, you need, you need you need to understand what we do as midwives.
0: Well, I, I think um, Linda's description of the history of of the medical aspect. Um, I remember reading a novel not too long ago, and and the the males who were the doctors resisted midwives because they were taking away income from them. Right, right. It was a very practical kind of resistance. Um, so you you have to educate in order to break through that. Uh, Linda, go ahead.
3: Yeah. Uh, Oh, my focus on that is helping to educate women to understand that they have a right to good, safe health care. Mm-hmm. And that includes having access to midwifery care. And part of it, I mean, part of it is having the community demand these services. And so, and that's how, that's been my focus in rural Maine. It's like, you know, women in that, in many of those situations don't, they're willing to take whatever they can get. And so really helping to edu- educate women from a young age to grow up, understanding that this is not a privilege. It is a human right. And you have the right to this kind of care. And if there's a community demand for it, um, you know, we have more of this. There's, there's more of a, uh, you know, energy to to have administrators see that it is beneficial for the community and ultimately, you know, financially advantageous for the community as well.
0: Well, it seems like it delivers healthcare where it needs to be delivered. That's the that's the bottom line. Right. Kathy, <laughs> Kathy, what would you add to this conversation?
2: I think I was just going to say it is about money, really. Uh, when mm-hmm. I started um, Maine, I think there was one midwife in one hospital, you know, and now Maine is actually pretty good. There's, hosp- uh, there's a midwife in most hospitals, I think. I can't give you the number exactly, but it's grown considerably. And I think it's really because of consumer demand, which is about money, you know, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'd probably just say, well, we have OBGYNs. Why do we need anybody else? But consumers want us for the most part. um, Mm -hmm. And that has helped make it grow. And so the more we can educate women about what we offer, the more that will grow. I think, um, you know, the other issue is insurance, which is really hard in our country. You know, main care pays very little and women A lot of women are main care in rural Maine, Um, so it's
0: it's that's the so that's a policy that's a policy barrier. We need to help um, um, people understand that those kind that that kind of insurance is limiting the ability for women to get the care um, that they want. I'm just remind listeners um, this wonderful conversation about the promise of midwifery in Maine um, here on Talk of the Towns. You've just heard from uh, Kathy Heffernan, who is a certified nurse midwife in the Bridgeton area. Linda Robinson is with us. Um, she's president of the Maine affiliation affiliate of the Maine American College of Nurse Midwives. Kristen Hayward is in Ellsworth, and she's is um, an owner of her own practice, midwifery practice. Angela Ripley from Augusta um, is um, serving on the faculty of the Maine Department of, uh, excuse me, Maine Dartmouth Family Medicine Residency. I'll slow down and get it right. And (laughs) Lindsay is here. Um, She's a student from Georgetown University um, developing her uh, training um, in Bangor. Um, as we were about fifteen minutes away from um, the end of the program, so what else do we need to talk about um, before we before we begin to wrap up? What's what, what haven't we talked about that you think listeners would like to know um, that they should know about the practice of midwifery and and how um, they get more midwives into the state of Maine? Linda, one of the um, one of the.
3: Things that has to do with the education, uh, one of the barriers are there are relatively few midwifery programs in the United States. Um, there is not one in Maine, um, nor in New Hampshire or Vermont. I mean, there's, there's one in Western Massachusetts and there's one at Yale. Those are the two closest programs. Um, so, it, and, and those programs are small. So there's not a huge number of midwives being turned out every year. Um, there are a couple of distance programs, but one of the things that I um, am interested in trying to develop in the state is to have a midwifery program as part of our university system so that women who don't want to relocate or are not comfortable with a distance learning program can access Quality midwifery education within our university system. I mean, we have nurse practitioner programs. We've they've got every specialty except for midwifery, and so I I think that would be one way to address the shortage in the rural areas. Um, so that's something that I'm interested in working on.
0: Others to add to that, Kathy Heffernan.
2: Um, Well, I I thought maybe we should talk about what we do that is so different, Um, especially, well, specifically for birth. You know, a lot of people think um, we can't give epidurals, you know, and a lot of women um, think that all we can do is natural birth, which is not true. We're really experts at natural birth, but we can get a woman an epidural if they need that. Um, But other than that, I think our philosophy um, as Angela um, sort of alluded to is you know that we listen to women. Um, we try to empower women, we try to um, reduce their fear around birth and, and encourage them that they have the power and ability and that birth is normal and they can do this. you know there's a lot of fear now in our culture around birth and we try to change that up a little bit. And the statistics have proven that midwifery care reduces C-sections, I think, by um, 30% nationally in first-time moms, which is huge. And that reduces cost to the hospital as well. So those are some of the, I think, philosophical in our approach to birth that is maybe a little different from
0: mm-hmm. talking. What would some of the rest of you add to that, that kind of the quality of, of the interaction, um, the quality of the trust that you build up um, mm-hmm. with um, your, your patients? Is that different? Um, and, and how do you promote that? Go ahead, Angela.
4: So, you know, what I, a little analogy I give when someone will ask me, what's the difference between, you know, a midwife between other disciplines, whether it be um, an OBGYN or, um, you know, family practitioner or, you know, what, although sort of giving education with a family practice, who's having more of a midwifery approach to their care for women. But as I like to say is that think of us as your sister versus your parent, meaning that you know, think about as your sister, if you're sitting here to having a dialogue with your sister and you're talking about, well, I have, this is the information and I have, this is an option. I have, this is an option. I have, this is an option. Um, and then ultimately, whatever you decide, your sister's going to, su- most of the time going to support you. And that's what I like to say is that we're here to support women. We're here to give them the information to make a good informed decision that they want to do. And then we support them in that. Um I, you know, definitely a spin-off from, you know, from what Kathy's saying, you know, when I think about, especially here, even right at Maine General, all the um, programs and things for women that have been incorporated into Maine General have been headed up by midwives bringing nitrous oxide, um, water births, which actually is on hold right now throughout our state, given COVID, but water births, um, spinning babies, um, you know, so all of these are things that have been, these are services that we as midwives have brought and made available for women, so...
0: Kristen or Linda, would you like to add to the conversation about um, what's kind of the what's what's special about that relationship, Kristen?
1: I think that just as midwives, we are excellent at listening to women, um, taking the time with women. And also we touched on this a little bit, but just shared decision making. So what that means is, you know, I will give you the evidence, but ultimately it's her body, her choice and. You know, I will support whatever decision that she makes.
0: And how, how would you approach that question of, of what's different or special about that relationship?
3: I, for me, it's how well we know the women we care for. And the more, A, the more trust you have, the more you, you develop a relationship and the more trust you have between each other, um, the smoother the course of any kind of treatment goes. Um, If if I've had patients that would say, you know, I I feel like I'm coming to visit my friend instead of coming to a, you know, a medical appointment. And that's really important. I mean, if you truly are interested and care, then um, they're not worried about calling you if there's a problem. They know they'll be treated respectfully. I mean, a lot of women, especially women with, you know, that suffer from poverty or any kind of addiction issues, if they feel they're going to be judged, then that is going to affect their access to care and how they, how they look for care. If they feel like you truly have their best interests at heart and respect them and are offering them compassionate, respectful care with dignity, it improves outcomes all the way around. Um, and, you know, with Kristen, in her own practice, I mean, having having, you know, the time to spend with women and, you know, let them bring up whatever issues come up makes a huge difference in outcomes. It does. And, it, and it's very cost effective. You know, you're not using technology. You're just like listening and caring. You know, as I said that to my, you know, to, to my midwifery students when I'm teaching, I make like, dignity is free. Respect is free. Those things, you know, go a long way in um, in reducing, you know, problems and complications.
0: Mm-hmm. I hear you say, um, but that you you listen, but you then advocate for um, the folks that you're working with. Um, you you make sure they're getting what they say they want, um, and and in that way, that advocate role, um, you have to be trusted to p- to play that role. Yeah. 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 What else would we add to the conversation before we begin to, to wrap up?
2: Um,
5: I mean, I would add coming from our student perspective, um, I've seen where, you know, being in clinicals and as Kathy mentioned, our C-section rate in the US is 30%, and a woman, woman being in labor and having to end up doing a C section, a Caesarean section, and just the fact that the midwife is certified to first assist, she's not just handing off the patient to an <laughs> you know she's able to continue the care by scrubbing in being a part of that experience for the woman and also um when we talk about being patient focused shared decision making as kristen mentioned it's not just about the woman making this journey it's incorporating that partner that's sitting next to the woman or that support person you know making them feel like they're a part of this process because at the end of the day, the woman needs support because when the woman leaves, you know, their family is there, making them feel like they're a part of the process or the journey, so. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, um, we're about... ready and maybe i could ask each of you to talk about your hopes for the future let's say that we um, have a time machine and and we can come back in in 10 or 15 years time what would you be what would you hope would be happening in the state of maine in terms of midwifery care and and the the practice of midwifery and the kind of care that um, midwives provide um, to the, the people of maine um, who would like to start with that uh, old giant question, Kathy? Can we start, start with you?
2: Make it very easy. Uh, universal health care and more independent practices and birth centers.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit more about the the you know the the I I, I get the uh, the, the health care. Why would that um, make a difference? The independent health care practices.
2: Well, because so many women don't have insurance, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, The independent practices. Well, you just can practice like Kristen can practice. You have more autonomy. You can reach more women rurally. You could um, practice the way you want to practice.
0: Great. Great. Angela, could we tell you what what are your hopes um, for the future?
4: Well, my hopes, and I'm going to just refer to my specific role now um, um, as a faculty in a residency program, is that you know, my ultimate goal is that there is a full time, full scope um, uh, group of midwives that are interweaved amongst the um, the residents. So, means as I said I don't want to. I don't want to be the only one forever. I want there to be, you know, I want there to be a group of us, and that they're here full time, twenty four um, seven. So that's my goal. Because again, I've, as I've said over and over again, we're teaching. We're teaching our future providers.
0: Right. How about you, Kristen? What would your hope be for the future?
1: Yeah, I agree with Kathy. I would love to see more midwives take that leap of faith and go into independent private practice. Um, it's certainly scary. Um, there's a lot to learn, but once you're in it, I mean, I've just I've never felt more professionally and personally satisfied.
0: There are gonna people people knocking on your door to say, how did you do it?
1: <laughs> yes, and I if anyone's listening, I would I would love to help you if you're interested in starting your own practice.
0: <laughs> great. great. Um, how about um you, Linda? What 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 are your hopes? And then we'll go back to Nakisha.
3: For me, it's all about access. My my hope is that every woman in this state has reasonable access within her community to midwifery care. And 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 that means that we have enough midwives practicing so that we can give each other breaks. You know, I worked alone in a small rural hospital for 23 years and it's hard, you know, you have to be available. So um, there needs to be enough of us that we can practice, you know, in a reasonable way throughout the state. I mean, and I, I think that is achievable. Um, women should not have to drive two hours to get care that they need.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Nikesha, um, as one of the younger members of this uh, panel, what are your hopes for the future if you look ahead 10 years, 15 years?
5: Well, my main hope is in line with what Linda says, you know, making more jobs available for us as new midwives. And not just jobs, because most of the jobs, they're advertised for experienced midwives, but make it available so that we can be integrated or, you know, have that smooth transition in becoming experienced um, providers um, so that we can provide access to access of care for women who need it so they don't have to travel far.
0: You know, I think that's my biggest hope. And where where would you personally like to kind of um, be practicing? Well,
5: in, right here in Maine. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's
0: great. You're part of that new wave of of serving Maine people. Well, thank you all so much for this um, hour of of, uh, conversation about the uh, promise of midwifery in Maine. We've unfortunately come to the end of that hour, and be sure to join us from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for other topics, please email us at newsweru.org and tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of the University of Maine Sea Grant from 4 to 5 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Koronak on a Balnade House Highland music recording. Thanks once again to our guests in the studio Linda Robinson, Kathy Heffernan, Kristen Hayward. Angela Ripley, and Nikesha Lindsay, um, all practicing and students of practice in nurse midwifery. Um, thanks to um, our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown to help, uh, helping for our engineering art program and stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from five to six and jazz straight ahead with Larry Stahlberg from six to eight. This is Ron Beard, producer and host of Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon.